the brother was talking about how people come to church and the, and the pastor has three points of things that you can't achieve and things that you can't do. And so you leave here feeling guilty and you feel here leaving condemned because we've held up the standard that nobody can, can achieve and we're calling you to that standard so you feel beat up and guilty because just another thing that I'm adding to you that you have to live up to. And I got to tell you, I mean, that made me, that made me pause for a minute. That made me pause because that is not my desire. My desire on Sunday mornings as we open the Word of God is never to hold up a standard for you that you cannot achieve. Although I am very aware of how short I fall. And so I am very aware of how short you fall. And so here's what I want to say to you. Let's never forget the gospel. See, because the gospel is the good news. The gospel is what's drawn us here. And and that is that when you and I cannot achieve God's righteousness in and of ourselves, God did it for us. That's the good news. The good news is that I don't have to somehow win God's approval by being somehow good enough to merit his heaven. The truth is I cannot. That's the gospel. And you know, we have been guilty as the church in America, I think, for, for preaching a moralism. Not intentionally, but, but we, we held up the standard all the time of which you and I ought to shoot for. And somehow we've confused people into thinking that being a Christian is somehow doing my best to reach that moral, that moral standard that we're holding, that expectation from God. And so being a Christian is all about trying harder to do better at what God wants us to do. That is not what being a Christian is. That is not the good news. Because really, that news condemns us. Because none of us reach it. None of us are good enough. The good news is that God loved me when I couldn't reach His standard, and Jesus died to become the standard for me, so that by faith, Jesus' standard might be applied to my life. You know what I think, if we're not careful, though, in the church, with the pendulums tend to swing, don't they, from one side to the other? And we tend to go from from a religious moralism, which we've been guilty of, that being a Christian is all about what you do and how you try to do it better, to swinging the pendulum to talking about the grace of God in Christ, which is the gospel, and that is true, but we've got to be careful to, I think, speak this balance that God desires of us. You see, here here is the, the balance that we need to live in, right? The balance is that the good news is that I don't have to achieve God's righteousness. I can't achieve it. And so by faith, I have to reject the idea that somehow or another, by living the best I can for the gospel, is somehow going to merit me to God. It does not. But on the other hand, having, having been forgiven by Christ, having been forgiven by God, by His grace, I want to live for Him. He's the lover of my soul, and I want to live for Him. And you know what? I am never, listen, I I don't mean to make you feel guilty. Somebody has stopped coming years ago. They told me because they they, they don't want to hear how they're failing each week. And I apologize. I I don't want you to hear from me how you're failing week after week. That, That is not my goal. But my goal is to hold up for us without apology 
This, this great desire of our King for our lives. What He wants us, how He wants us to live. What He, what He wants us to be as followers of Christ. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that. So I hope you can follow me this morning. I, I, I want to be balanced. I want you to understand that the gospel is what we just sang about. That the blood of Christ and the death of Christ is what makes us sufficient, makes us righteous before God. But having been made righteous by Christ, I want to live for the lover of my soul. And I want, I want to live the kind of life that he wants me to live. And so I'm going to continually hold it up for us. But please don't get it confused. Few passages in the Bible, I believe, summarize Jesus' desire for us as people more succinctly than this passage that we're going to look at this morning. And yet I think that this passage has probably been as misunderstood as just about any. There's going to be some recognizable phrases in the passage before us this morning. Turn the other cheek, go the second mile, love your enemies. Now those are three, those are three statements that you probably could have never, you may have never stepped through the door of a church and you've probably heard those statements before because they're so well known in our, in our society, in our culture. But those, those, ver- those things are going to be found in our passage today. The question for us this morning is what does that mean? What does that mean for me to turn the other cheek? What does that mean for me to love my enemies? I mean, those things were spoken 2,000 years ago. How do they apply to my life today? Well, we're going to talk about that for just a few moments. If you happen to be our guest, our, our, our series for Sunday morning through the summer has been the Sermon on the Mount. It's going to take us into the fall, uh, for, for a part of the fall. And the theme of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, his best-known sermon, the theme has been, this is how I want my followers to live. This is the kind of men and women that I want you to be. And we've looked at all kinds of things. Louis Donaldson in his uh, Heritage Lectures said, and I quote, Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount were not intended as social ethics, but as a model for how we're to live as children of God and relate to each other one-on-one as brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and I, I absolutely affirm that. These are not the things that we're talking about and the things that we're going to look at today are not things that need to be applied to the police force. They are not things that need to be applied to our military or even to state government. But these are, these are our responsibilities as men and women who say, Jesus is king in my life and I am following him. So we're going to look at two, there's really two directives in the text that we're going to look at. We're going to look at verse 38 through verse 48. I'm going to divide it into two parts and I'm going to give you the two directives. Now here's the first directive from the Lord Jesus for you and me. It is this, show grace Show grace and kindness to those who do you wrong. Beginning in verse 38, you have heard it said, Jesus said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, Jesus is obviously referring back to the Old Testament law, to Exodus 21, verse 23, where, the, where in the Old Testament law, God says, but if any harm follows, then you must take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, and bruise for bruise. 
Ancient scholars tell us that 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 rabbinical or that law from God actually it has been around much longer even than Moses. Uh, Some 17 centuries before in the Hammurabi Code, we find something very similar to that. And on the surface, it sounds harsh, but really it was meant as a grace to society. Instead of you taking my eye and me killing you, your wife, your children, and destroying your village, that law limited our, our retribution. It limited our revenge. And it said you were only allowed to take an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life. You were not allowed to take your revenge to its however far you wanted to. And so lots of times people would, you know, hey, you killed my son, my tribe's going to go over in the middle of the night, we're going to kill everybody in your tribe. This law was actually really a grace, a grace to society. It limited retribution. It curved violence and, uh, and revenge. Seen in this way, the law of Moses made sense for their society, and, it, and even to some degree it makes sense for our society today as far as our laws are concerned. Jesus is not saying that we need to do away with that as a society. He, this is not something for society, but this is something that he says to you and me. Now, those of you that follow me, you've heard it said, you know, even Stephen is good, and, and it is righteous, he says, but... I want more of you. I want something different from those of you that follow me. He says, I want you to go further than just getting an even Stephen retribution. I want you to show grace to those who wrong you. And then Jesus gives us four illustrations of what that might look like in their day. Verse 39, the first one is this, don't return insults uh, to insults. Verse 39, but I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. But on the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, Turn the other to him also. Now, some people say that Jesus meant that we're never to resist any evildoer at any evil t- at any time, whatever the evil is that he might be doing. So, therefore, if uh, some a thief is breaking into your house, you're not to resist him. If someone's trying to rape you, you're not to resist him. If you hear a burglar, open the door, or let him in. I-, I tell you, that's foolishness, and that is not at all what Jesus meant. In fact, I think it's irresponsible for you not to protect yourself or your loved ones against someone who is trying to harm you. In fact, that's what Jesus did. In in Nazareth, when he's there, you remember they take him outside of the city and they're going to try to kill him and throw him off the cliff? Y'all remember that? And, And the Bible tells us that Jesus resisted the evil men and he passed through their midst and went on his way. Now let me be quick to admit that there was another time when evil men took him to the cross and he didn't resist at all. Went all the way to the cross, not resisting. My point is not that Jesus... There's never a time we don't resist. My point is that there are times when Jesus did resist. And there are times when I think Jesus would say, you know, you should resist. If a burglar is trying to break into your home, let me encourage you by all means, resist, resist him. So back to the text. What is Jesus trying to say when he talks about an evil person? Well, it's obvious. Everyone agrees. Any, any scholar, all the, all the scholars of New Testament history, they all agree that what Jesus is saying here is that if a man were to insult you by slapping you on the cheek, notice that he talks about the, the right cheek. When equals would fight, they would hit with their right hand. Most 
of them were right-handed, they would hit with their right hand, and they would hit on the left cheek of the person that they were fighting. But when somebody felt like they were superior to you, they would take their hand and they would backhand you on the, on the other cheek, which would be your right cheek. They would backhand you. It was a form of insult. Everyone agrees that what Jesus is saying here is this, that, well, not everyone agrees. Most everyone agrees that what Jesus is saying is that when someone who considers themselves superior to you insults you with a backhanded slap, you're not only to just receive that and not get revenge, you're to offer them the other cheek. Now, I think offering the other cheek could almost be a, a provoking, insulting thing in its, on its own right, right? But Jesus is basically saying that we're not to return insult for insult. You know, have you ever watched kids, you know, when they start saying names at each other and then they just go back and forth, they go back and forth, everybody trying to insult the other person just as bad or worse. Jesus is saying, you know, we are not to retaliate so. We are not to, we are not to insult back. And this is what Paul says in, in the book of Romans to the, to the Roman Christians. He says, don't seek revenge yourself, beloved, but give, give place to God's wrath. For it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. And I can't remember any time in my life where somebody's hit me, you know, for, or, or, or some evil person has attacked me for my faith. But, but, I, but I have been insulted many times in my Christian life as a believer. And most of the time it's from, from other believers, unfortunately. That says something about us, doesn't it? But, um, but I've been insulted. But you know what? For from most of my Christian life, I've tried very hard not to retaliate. And that is what Jesus is calling you to do. He's saying to you, listen, if you're insulted by someone, your goal should be not to retaliate but to show kindness to them. Don't, don't follow suit and have to insult them back. Solomon says in Proverbs 12, 16, a prudent man overlooks an insult. Peter tells us, I mean, something, this, this could not be clear. First Peter 3, 9. This is for you and me. Don't pay back evil with evil. Don't pay back unkind words with unkind words. Instead, pay back evil with kind words. This is what you have been chosen to do. You'll receive a blessing by doing this. 1 Peter 3.9. That's the first illustration. Here's the second one Jesus gives us. Remember, his whole point is, you know, when you're wronged, show kindness. Don't, you don't have to get eye for an eye. You don't have to get even Stephen. You show kindness. When wrongly sued, go a step further. Verse 40. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. Now, and again, here's something that we probably wouldn't know just by reading that. And it's not a shirt and a coat like we think of. The Jews and the folks that lived in Palestine at that day, they had an undergarment and they had an outer garment. You know, and my closet is full of shirts that I never wear. It was not that way in those days. You may have had one change of clothes if you had, if you had to. And, and, and so people could sue for your undergarment, but it was law. They could not take your coat. And if they won your coat, they had to give it back to you every night because it was what you slept in. It was what kept you warm. It was like your blanket. And so they were not allowed to keep your outer garment. Jesus is saying, if someone unfairly, and let's, let's assume that Jesus is talking about an unfair suit here. I mean, if somebody is righteously suing you because you've been unfaithful at something you promised, then by all means, you need to, do, you need to make that right. I, I think he's talking about somebody un, suing you unfairly. Jesus said, you know, offer him your, your outer coat as well. Now, why would Jesus do that? Because why would he do that? Why would he say that? Well, I think what he's trying to say is, hey, listen, when somebody sues you unfairly, 
you do your best to instead of retaliating, to go the extra mile and do something in kindness. Now, why would Jesus want you and me to do this? Why would he want us to do this? I think it's because he wants us to illustrate God's love for them because, because they would be suing us, I guess, as believers in the Lord. Now, we live in an extremely litigious society. So let me ask you, do you think Jesus is telling us I never have a right to defend myself in court? So you sue me unjustly. Do I, do I have to stay there and say nothing like Jesus did when Pontius Pilate was judging him? Remember, Jesus did not answer. You know, it could be, I don't mean to water down what Jesus is saying, but, but I, don't believe that's what, I don't believe that's what he wants for us to do. In fact, the Bible calls us to, to be a steward of truth. You know, so I, to speak the truth, I think the Lord would want us to speak the truth. But this is supremely radical. He's telling us when you are unjustly sued, you know, show kindness to the person who's suing you by doing something extra for that person. What do we do when somebody falsely accuses us and sues us? What do you normally do? We see it all the time. Taylor Swift did it the other day, or the other guy did it the other day. We what? We countersue, right? Man, I, I think Jesus would say, defend yourself, but don't countersue. Don't, don't be, let's be different. Number three, he says, treat mistreaters with kindness. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. What does that mean? Well, in that society, the Roman soldiers could conscript, conscript you to, to carry their bags for one mile. Imagine people ruling over us, and they had authority over us. I mean, we we're an occupying army. And, and so they could come in and say, hey, Jimmy, you need to carry this for me. And so they could do that for a mile, and after a mile, they didn't, you didn't have to do it anymore. Jesus said, you know, if somebody conscripts you falsely to do that for a mile, you go with them two miles. Again, what is Jesus saying? He's saying, you know what you do when people treat you wrongly? You go the extra mile. You show kindness to wrongdoers over you. You, you, you do more than what's expected of them. Why? Why would Jesus want us to go this extra mile and do these sort of things? Why? Well, the answer is obvious. He wants us to be different. He wants us to, he wants people to see something different in us. Now, if you wanted to get practical, what would that look like today? You know, nobody's going to occupy us. But what about an impractical boss who asks you to do something that you know is unfair? He's asking you or she's asking you to do something that, you know, you had planned or whatever and it's going to interrupt. What do you do? This is where, this is the kind of, you go the extra mile. You do what's being asked of you and you go the extra mile. You show kindness as opposed to, um, Doing so, you know, doing whatever is being asked of you in a magnanimous sort of way rather than, you know, in a way seeking retribution and revenge. And then the last thing Jesus says is, he says, meet needs even to your own hurt. Verse 42, give to the one who asks you, don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So when they want your crescent wrench, loan it to them, right? And if they don't give it back, forgive them, just exactly like Stan said. Really, this comes from probably Deuteronomy 15, and, and there was uh, this, in Jewish law, at the end of seven years, and they were in a seven-year cycle, as they approached the seventh year, at the end of that seventh year, all debts were canceled, and you have to give back everything that had, hands that had been exchanged. And, and so most people believe that Jesus is saying, you know, when he got close to that seven-year point, nobody wanted to loan anybody anything because they were always afraid they would lose it because the person would just renege and at the end of seven years and they would, they would lose what they loaned. And people were saying, scholars are saying, I think Jesus means here, you know, if people have a need, if people have a need, loan it to them. Even if you're on the seven-year mark, you be, you be magnanimous. 
You be magnanimous. You be the person who's willing to hold things lightly and show generosity. I remember when I was in Phoenix a couple months ago for the convention, and I went to McDonald's for breakfast, and there was a lady panhandling outside. And I ignored her and went to get in my car, and this verse came to mind. And I'm telling you, I felt like I couldn't leave. So I got back out of my car, and I went over to the lady, and I said, Ma'am, are you hungry? She said, Yeah. And I mean, I know she's, I know she's using. I know she's lying. You know, she's just trying to get money. She wants money. But I take her in and buy her, buy her breakfast. And, uh, and then, you know, after she gets her breakfast and I, I go to the table where she sits down and I tell her, listen, I'm doing this because Jesus loves you. And I really want you to know that Jesus cares about you. And you know what? And I'm sure everybody else that's helped her does the same thing, right? And, and so I, I start to leave. And as I leave, the teller who has attended us at the cash register follows me out. And she says, sir, that lady's lying to you. She's just, she's just panhandling. She's just trying. And I told her, I said, ma'am, I said, I know that. I said, but, you know, Jesus told me, you know, when somebody asks me for something and I've got it, and this is a good, this is a good thing to do. And so, you know, I was able to tell that lady a little bit about Jesus, you know, for that. The issue isn't whether people are trying to abuse you. The issue is, do you have it? Can you afford it? I mean, can you, can you do it? And when we can, Jesus is telling us to do that sort of thing. So here's the first directive from Jesus. And remember, I'm challenging us to be like Christ. I'm challenging us to go the extra, the extra mile, no pun intended. Uh, I'm challenging us to be like Jesus. And here's what he tells us. Show grace to those who are wronging you. When people wrong you, show grace to them. Now, here's the second directive for us, okay? The second directive is go even further. Love your enemies, verse 43. You have heard it said, Jesus said, love your enemies and hate, excuse me, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, uh, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Jesus starts by quoting the Old Testament, and he quotes, you know, uh, love your neighbor. You've heard it said, love your neighbor, and he says, hate your enemy. Now, the first part, love your neighbor, comes from Leviticus 19, 18, which says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, this is the second of the two greatest commandments in the Bible. And then Jesus would even, remember he would tell the story of the Good Samaritan, and, and he would tell us that all the law of God is, is encased in loving God and loving our neighbor. So this is really, really important. But that second phrase, love, hate your enemy, that's nowhere in your Bible. You won't find it in your Bible. Uh, the closest thing you might find is Psalm 139, where David says, Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Now that's David's heart. That's David's heart. I don't believe God's commending that to us. As a matter of fact, you know, I don't think that's... In fact, in light of what Jesus is telling us, that is not to be our heart, right? But God is not commending us to, to hate our enemies. So what Jesus is doing is he's taking the Word of God and he's taking a, a customary statement from their day, you know, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. And he says, you've heard it said that, but I got something I want to tell you as my followers you need to love your enemies even. It's not just that you love your neighbors. You love your enemies. 
That's a step deeper, isn't it? And then a step deeper. Isn't that what this whole Sermon on the Mount has been about? You've heard it said, but I'm going to tell you, let's step in the waters a little bit deeper and, and, and show grace to those who wrong you and even go so deep that you love the people that you would consider to be your enemies. He says we're to love them and we are to pray for our enemies. In another place, he tells us to pray for those who persecute us. Nobody's really persecuting us, but in that day, people were persecuting them, and he said, pray for them. And, and Jesus isn't calling for imprecatory psalms, I mean, imprecatory prayers. You all know what those are? The word imprecatory means to call down. Those are prayers where you call down fire on people, all right? So here's an example of one in Psalm 58, David writing, Break the teeth in their mouths, O God. Tear out, O Lord, the fangs of the lion. Let them famish, let them vanish like water that flows away. Then they will draw the bow, let the arrows be, when they draw the bow, let the arrows be blunted like a slug melting away as it moves along like a stillborn child. May they not see the sun. The righteous will be glad and they will bathe their feet in the blood of the wicked. And, and there's several imprecatory prayers like that in the Old Testament. That's not what Jesus is calling for when he calls us to pray for our enemies. He's calling for us to pray for them, for God's blessing on them. He's calling for us to pray that God might be at work in our enemy's life. He's calling for us to pray that God might save and and, and help our enemies come to know Jesus, even as we've come to know Jesus. Now, Jesus is going to give us two reasons why we should do this. Look Look at your text. Here's the first one. Jesus says that we're to do this because that is what God does. He loves his enemy. And Jesus gives us two illustrations of that. He says, uh, well, he gives us one illustration in the text. And he said, you know, God causes it to rain and, and to the sun to shine on both the godly and the ungodly. So you got a godly farmer living next to an ungodly evil man. The same rains fall on both. The same sun shines on both. And, and so Jesus said, you know, the, the Father gives this kind of common grace to all of us because he loves his enemies. He's willing to give them this kind of common grace. But, but let's go beyond what Jesus said, and let's just look at the rest of the New Testament. And the Bible tells us that while we were yet enemies of God, God just didn't give us rain and sunshine. God gave us his son. Jesus died for you and me while we were yet enemies of Christ or enemies of God. Jesus, you know, God loved us while we were yet his enemy. And in fact, again, you know, I'm knowing what I'm going to say. And so listening to the songs this morning, I was getting so excited and just wishing I could somehow, I can't remember, but while we were yet his enemies, that's one of the words that we sang this morning. While we were yet his enemies, his grace was poured out upon us. You see, while I was his enemy, this is what God does. God loves his enemies. That's why Jesus says we should do that, because that's what he did. In fact, that brings us to the second thing that Jesus said. That's what God did, and so that's what you should do. You should be like your Father in heaven. You should love your enemies, because that's what God has done. You want to be like him. Verse 45, love your enemies so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. And I don't think Jesus is saying that by by loving your enemies, you become sons of God. I think he's saying that because you are sons of God... Love your enemies because that's who you are. You're sons of God. You're like your father. Now love your enemies just like he did. You see, why should I love my enemies? It's because my father loved his enemies and because I want to be like him. Jesus gives us two illustrations of this. He says, you know, tax collectors 
You know, if you don't do this, you're not any better than a tax collector. The tax collectors do that. They love the people that love them, right? That, that's just what a tax collector does. And then he says, Gentiles do that. Gentiles greet the people that are Gentiles, right? They, they greet one another. See, if, if all you do is love people who love you, you're not any different than people who don't know God who don't know Christ, who have not had Jesus change them. So therefore, be like your father. Be different because he loves his enemies. Now, let me hasten to say, Jesus isn't trying to say that tax collectors and Gentiles were worse than anybody else. He was just, he was just using what they would have thought were the worst of all people. And he's saying, you know, if the people you think are the worst of all do this one for another, how are you any better than that? If all you do is love the people who love you, you and me as followers of Jesus are called to love people who are our enemies. We are different. We don't retaliate. Even an eye for an eye, Jesus said. Even though that's the law, and even though that's a righteous law, Jesus says, that's not what I want of you. I want you to not, not retaliate eye for an eye. I want you to forgive. I want you to love. I want you to show kindness. Now, I've told the story before. It's a great story. I've got to tell it again. Corrie Tin Boone. Remember, remember her whole family was you know, uh, arrested by the Nazis and put in the concentration camps for helping the Jews escape. Her sister dies in the camp. Her parents die in the camp. She alone survives the whole ordeal. And afterwards, she is out sharing about God's grace, getting her through that. You remember the story? And she's sharing, and at the end of the thing, she's standing there in the middle greeting people, and she sees him at the very end of the building. He starts to walk down the aisle. It was one of her guards at Auschwitz, or whatever the camp was, Breckenhauer, or which one. And she sees him, and her own description was that she froze. You know, she froze. And this guy makes his way to her and extends his hand, and he says, I'm grateful for your message, Fraulein, to think, as you said, Christ has washed away my sin. And she stood there paralyzed, staring at the outstretched hand. And then finally she prayed, and I quote, Lord Jesus, I cannot forgive him. I cannot. Give me your forgiveness. And I'm going to continue reading. As she whispered the word, she felt her hand reach out to grasp his. She said, the most, this is a quote here, the most incredible thing happened from my shoulder along my arm through my hand. A current seemed to pass from me to him while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that overwhelmed even me. You see, loving our enemies is what we do because it's what our Father does. And you know what? We do it not because somehow or another it's in us. It's because God is in us. Christ is in us. His Spirit is in us. And we are different because of that. And then Jesus recaps in verse 48 and he says, Hey, everybody. Hey, you my followers. Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know what, folks? We can't be perfect. Don't, don't be burdened under the fact that we all fall short. Know that Christ is our perfection. Rest in that. But you know what? Strive to be perfect like our Father is. Strive to be just like Jesus in everything. And again, don't let Satan beat you up because we rest in Christ. That's the good news. But yet, we, Jesus tells us, be perfect. Therefore, even as your Father is perfect, that's the goal. That's what we're shooting for. So I want to end this morning by talking about how do you and I love our enemies? How do we do it? How do I love my enemies? 
You know, I, I did read a funny story about this pastor who was preaching on this and, and uh, this very subject, loving your enemies. And he said, you know, does any of y'all have enemies here? And everybody's hand went up. He said, is there anyone here who doesn't have an enemy? And the little man in the back row raised his hand. He said, great, that's great, sir. How is it you don't have any enemies? And he said, I outlived them all. Well, um, that, that's not how we love our enemies. You know, you don't, you don't, you know, if you outlive them, that's great. But you know what? That's not how we love them. We need to love them while they're still living. Okay? So how do I do that? And I got to tell you, prior to all the stuff that went down yesterday, this is, I was finished my sermon by, by Friday, uh, by Friday morning. You know what I thought as I was preparing this? I actually read another brother who, who used this and I thought, man, this is such a good idea. And uh, I, I want to use Martin Luther King Jr.'s words from a 1957 sermon that he entitled, Loving Your Enemies. And so I went out and listened to it online. It's online. And, uh, and he had three points, and I want to share them with you. And all three of them, I think, are extremely biblical. All right? How do you and I, as followers of Jesus, love our enemies? Here's what Martin Luther said first. He said, analyze yourself. You want to love your enemies? Where do you start? You start by an introspective look. You start by looking at yourself. Let me quote. I'm sure that seems strange to you that I start out telling you this morning that you love your enemies by beginning with a look at yourself. It seems to me that that is the first and foremost way to come to an adequate discovery of the how of this situation, the how of you and your enemy. But after looking at these things and admitting these things, we must face the fact that an individual might dislike us because of something that we've done deep down in the past, some personality attribute that we possess, something that we've done deep down. I think I read the same line again, sorry. Uh, Something we've done deep down in the past and we've forgotten about it, but it was that something that aroused the hate response within that individual. That is why I say begin with yourself. There might be something within you that arouses the tragic hate response in the other individual. I tell you, if you don't think that's thoroughly biblical, you're wrong. Jesus told us, you know, he's talking about the, the, the what in our eye. Anybody remember the log in our own eye and the speck in somebody else's eye? And what does Jesus call us to do? He says, get the log out of your own eye and then you can see clearly to get the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Jesus calls us to the same introspection. He calls us to exactly what Martin Luther King said. Analyze yourself first and say, you know, is this guy my enemy because of anything I've done? Is the problem with me? Is there a log in my eye that I need to remove so that I can fix this broken enemy relationship that I have? Maybe there's not, right? But begin with yourself. The second thing Martin Luther said that we should do if we're going to love our enemies is that we have to discover the element of good in our enemy. And I quote again, every time you begin to hate that person and think of hating that person, realize that there is some good there and look at those good points, which will overbalance the bad points. I've said to you on many occasions that each of us is something of a schizophrenic personality. We've split up, uh, we're split up and divided against ourselves. And there is something of a civil war going on within all of our lives. There is a recalcitrant south of our soul revolting against the north of our soul. Now here's what Martin Luther King is saying. And he's absolutely right. He's saying, you know, there is good in everyone. And he said, you know, look for the good 
in everyone. Try to find that element of good because, you know, even in the worst of people, there can be something good. And even in good people, there's often some, some things that are very sinful and very bad. Mr. Rogers used to say, here's a great authority, Mr. Rogers. Have you ever noticed that the very same people who are bad sometimes are the very same people who are good sometimes? If you don't think that's biblical, listen to what Paul said in Romans 7. The good that I want to do, I don't do. And the bad that I don't want to do, I I often do, right? I think we all experience this where I can really behave poorly and wrongly. And as, as I want grace for those times that I mess up, a lot of times, you know, if I look for the good in my enemy, I, I can find something good there that sort of mitigates some of that hatred that I might have towards my enemy. Dr. King put it this way, and let me, let me continue, and I quote, When you come to the point, this is really, really good, listen carefully. When you come to the point that you look in the face of every man and see deep down within him what religion calls the image of God, you begin to love him in spite of everything else. So find the center of goodness and place your attention there, and you will take a new attitude. Can I tell you, folks, listen, that is so hard to do when somebody is hating you and hurting you. It is so hard not to hate them back. Martin Luther King was calling us to look for the image of God in everybody and look beyond just all the the evil that might be there to the fact that that person was made in the image of God and God's calling me to love them, love your enemies. Really hard. Last thing Luther said, I mean, Dr. King said was, He says, when the opportunity presents itself for you to defeat your enemy, that is the time which you must not do it. Listen, I quote again. There will come a time in many instances when the person who hates you most, the person who has misused you most, the person who has gossiped about you most, the person who has spread false rumors about you most, there will come a time when you will have an opportunity to defeat that person. It may be in terms of a recommendation for a job. It may be in terms of helping that person to make some move in life. That's the time when you must do it. That is the meaning of love. Now listen, in the final analysis, love is not the sentimental thing that we talk about. It is not merely an emotional something. Love is creative, understanding goodwill for all men. It is the refusal to defeat any individual. When you rise to the level of love, of its great beauty and power, you seek only to defeat evil systems, individuals who happen to be caught up in this system. You love, but you speak to defeat the system. Man, I thought that was just so biblical and so true. You know, love is not just this feeling, guys. It's not just this, it's not an emotion. Read it in the New Testament over and over and over again. Love is acting in a way that's kind and good to one another. Going back to the very first directive from the Father, from the Son, it is what? I don't return evil with evil, but I show kindness. I, I, don't, get, I don't get an eye for an eye. I try to show kindness when people are, are, are unkind to me or when people are against me. I show them kindness. And Martin Luther King was telling us, you know, here's what loving your enemy actually looks like. When you've got an opportunity to, to kick your enemy while he's down, that's when you don't. That's when you're hanging on the cross because your enemy's put you there, and you look down at your enemy and you say what? What do you say? Come on, let me hear you. What do you say? Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. I mean, that's, that's who we're to be like. That's our Savior. That's our King. That's our model. That's our forerunner who's gone before us. Man, love your enemies, everyone. 
I mean, I'm done. Let's be very clear. God is setting the bar extremely, extremely high for us this morning. Wouldn't you agree? Would you, would you own up to that? That loving the people that hate you and hurt you is really, really hard? I mean, to do them good when people have done you wrong, I mean, everything in you wants to avoid them, wants, you to, shut the, wants to shut them out. And, and, and let's be honest, we want to hurt them if we get the opportunity. C.K. Chesterton, uh, I may have quoted this already in this series. Uh, this is a great quote. C.K. Chesterton once wrote, and I quote, The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. And that speak to us? Nowhere is this more true, I think, than the Sermon on the Mount, and nowhere is it more true than this specific passage where God calls us to love the people that are hurting us, loving our enemies. I entitled this talk Extravagant Love because I think that's what Jesus is calling us to, an extravagant love. To, to overlove people, our undeserving enemies, even as He so abundantly loved us when we were undeserving and yet His enemy. So let's aim high. Let's aim really, really high to love our enemies. So I'd ask you to bow your head for just a moment. And this is our invitation time. And this is is the time where I'm asking you to respond not to my words, but to however God might be working in your heart. You know, and I've had a feeling this morning as I was practicing this message, and I just had this feeling this morning that the Holy Spirit was going to name names for you. He was going to speak to your heart, that enemy. He was going to speak to, that, the, to your heart, the person that you're not returning kindness for their unkindness. You're, you want eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. I had a feeling that God was going to show a name, share a name with you, maybe more than one name of somebody that you would, you would consider your enemy today. And, and the call is for you to aim high, so the call is for you to own it. This is my enemy I view them as my enemy. I feel them as my enemy. And then Jesus is calling you to love that enemy. And so in this moment, what I want you to do is ask the Lord and listen to the Lord. What is it that you need to do to love that enemy? What is it that you need to do to, you know... How do you need to love that enemy? How, how do you need to not defeat that enemy, but love them? And, you know, Jesus told us things like this, everyone. Remember, he said, you know what you do for your enemies? You pray for them. You bless them. It's like, it's like putting coals on their head. And, and, and I think what he meant by that was it'll bring conviction. It'll bring them to me when they see you loving them in spite of their, their evil. So where do you need to... Apply today's talk to your heart. What, where, where's, who's the enemy and what do you need to do? Let's take a few moments just in the quiet. I'm going to be quiet. You're going to be quiet. You're going to have your heads bowed and your eyes closed. And you're going to be trying to ask God, God, how do I apply this? Now, if God didn't give you a name, you don't have to fabricate a name. But I bet you some of you got a name right away. Somebody who's just you're at odds with, who's your enemy. I I pray that you, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus this morning, I pray that you'll, you'll respond to him and do something about this. Love your enemy, even as Christ has loved us when while we were yet still enemies. You know, my thought was, as I sat there, is, Lord, I don't have any enemy that I know of. I, I don't. But you know, I do, I do feel like there's times people don't like me. And you know, my tendency is when I think people don't like me, and I've, I've seen you do it as well, we tend to avoid that person. We tend to go out of our way to, to kind of not 
have to deal with that person. You know, I want to challenge you all today to just let's not let let's not let Satan do that for us or to us. Let's you know let's just make sure we we are like the Lord Jesus. Show kindness even when we feel like you know maybe there's been an unkindness shown us. Let's show kindness, Father. Thank you for thank you for desiring so much of us. Thank you for not letting us slouch through this life, you know, spiritually just minimizing everything. Thank you for holding up this this incredible standard of 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 moral and righteous perfection that Jesus you had in the Father. I thank you this morning for giving it to us freely by faith. I thank you that all of us to, who who own you as Lord have been forgiven and are righteous in Christ. But Lord, we we pray that we might seek in this life to be as perfect as you are, living every moment to honor you and love you and to represent you well. Father, may may our church be known as a place, as a family, that not only loves one another, but we love our enemies. I mean, we love all men because, God, that has been your heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. This message has been brought to you by Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. And if you'd like to learn more about our church, please visit us on the web at www.baconscastle.com.